0: Let the children of God say amen. Amen. Let the children of God say amen again. All praises, honor, and glory go to God, the Father, to his Son, Jesus, the Christ, the head of the living church. And then to the Holy Spirit who continually comforts us all. I don't know about you, but I'm sure enough ready to have some church in this house. We're thankful to all the brethren who led us in our devotional period. Especially and particularly, Brother Melvin Shannon. It's good to have friends. But it's even better to have anointed friends. It's good to have anointed friends. It's even better to have friends who say, you know what, I'm just dropping by to hang out with you. And he didn't know he was gonna work. Say, man, you can. But he sure enough blessed us on this morning. Melvin, we thank you. We want to remember, recognize, and continually pray for uh, the four young ladies who have come to Christ in the last few weeks. Uh, Magdalene and Carla and Aisha and Jamie. We pray for them and their continued spiritual development. We want to remember today is New Year's Eve. It is December 31st. Uh, We do have a New Year's Eve, quote-unquote, watch service, but it's more than a watch service. We have an entire program, and we encourage all of you to be back here at 9 o'clock tonight, 9 p.m., for food and fun and games and inspiration. Uh, So we pray that you will make time in your day to be back here from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m good to see our sub-zero saints here this morning. Say amen when you can. I, I know it's show sure enough cold out there. But the blessing is it ain't cold in here. <clears throat> and let's not act like it's cold in here. Let's give God the praise that he deserves. <clears throat> Meet me if you will in Revelation chapter number three. Revelation chapter number three. And when you find yourself there, if you are so able, please stand for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Romans, rather Romans, Revelation chapter 3, for contextual sake, we're tabernacle in verse number 14. Revelation 3, verse number 14. Here, Jesus is speaking through John. Who at this time, in his later years of gerontology, is here in seclusion on the island of Patmos, yeah. and here John records Jesus's words as such to the angel and/or to the divine messenger of the church in Laodicea. Right. These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your deeds. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, Neither hot nor cold. I am about to spit and or spew and or vomit, depending on your version, you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I've acquired much wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize Laodicea. You do not realize Grey Robe. You do not realize, preacher and pew, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But I'm not going to leave you by yourself. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become truly rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and I chasten and are discipline so be ye earnest, be enthusiastic, be zealous and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice And opens the door, I will come in and dine with that person and they with me. If you have some time this morning, I want to speak from the thought, even when you make me sick. Subtopic, bad, bougie, but blessed. Even when you make me sick. Bad, bougie, but blessed. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. Dearly kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what was, what is, and what will be if we keep our hand in your constantly unchanging hand. Father God, this time be with everyone under the sound of my voice, Father. Open their minds, their hearts, their spirits, their souls, and yes, even their ears. To hear a word coming from you via your manservant. At this time, be with your manservant, Father, knowing I am nothing without you. Father, this time, please write your words on the canvas of my heart. Give me the bravery and the tenacity to speak only where you speak and to be silent where you tell me to be silent. Author this word at this time. Use your frail servant again as your instrument, if just not for one more time. Bring clarity to him and to everyone who hears him. Father, this time, bless the word. This time, bless this pile of clay, your servant. And Father, bless us all as your children. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Even when you make me sick. Subtopic, bad, bougie, but blessed. Here we land in the last book which comprises the holy canon. Here John from his spatial seclusion on the island of Patmos where he was in the spirit of the Lord on the Lord's day, Revelation 1 and 10. Here John gives humanistic witness to the last few chapters of the holy writ. Here John's hand moves in accordance with Christ's mouth. And he's told to write seven distinct letters to seven distinct churches. And this morning we study the last church as chronicled in the last book. And this last of the last lands us in Laodicea. Revelation in its entirety are the words of the Messiah as articulated through the pen of a man. This truth is evidenced and encapsulated in Revelation 119 where Jesus tells John to write number one, what you have seen, number two, what is now, and number three, what will take place later. Therefore, the Christological cliff notes reveal to us that Revelation 1 conveys what John has seen. What is now is chronicled in Revelation 2 and 3, and what will take place later is communicated in Revelation 4 through chapter 21. This handwriting, nomenclated as Revelation, has much revelation in the fact that it is in and of itself a revelation. For the Revelation narrative is tasked to be a literary revelation of the person, power, and preeminence of Jesus the Christ. For even in the two chapters of our study, Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, John defines Jesus to each of the seven churches. And while each church receives Jesus from a different vantage point, all of these vantage points are simultaneously descriptive and indicative As to who Jesus is. For when John put the postmark on the letter to the church at Ephesus, he said, Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. When John put the postmark on the letter to the church in Smyrna, he said, Jesus is the first and the last He who died and came to life again. When John wrote the church in Pergamum, he said Jesus has the sharp, double-edged sword. When John wrote to the church in Thyatira, he said Jesus is the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished brass. When John wrote to the church in Sardis, he said Jesus holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. When John wrote to the church in Philadelphia, he said Jesus is holy and true, and he holds the key of David. When now, when John writes to the church in Laodicea, he says Jesus is three things. He is the amen, he is the faithful and true witness, and he is the beginning of all creation. Preach flowers, I think I will. Laodicea is last, and now, unfortunately least. They are not The first, because they are in fact the worst. For God has nothing positive to tell them. Therefore, God allows something positive to be shown to them. He shows Laodicea the figurative Jesus. He shows Laodicea repentance and forgiveness and fellowship. All six of the previous churches followed the same letter format. It started with commendation. It ended with correction. And in between those was a complaint. But Laodicea gets called out for being lackadaisical and lazy. But I'm so glad that when Jesus could find no reason to redeem them with praise, that he comes to redeem them with his person. That's why he tells Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. though you make me sick, I still love you. I don't know about you on this morning, but if I had time for a commercial break, I would tell the church I'm so glad that even when God could say no good thing about me, I'm glad that at times when even God couldn't find any good in me that he sacrificed his good for my bad. And even I on today, If I could just repent, if I could just say my bad, then he can still make it all good. Therefore, in the presence of sinners, Jesus comes to them. Jesus didn't end the Laodicean pericope with the church having a happy ending, but rather he positioned himself as the happy ending for the church. Now, while we often and appropriately use these verses to lead lost people to Christ, we must also understand that the authorial intention of this text is to challenge the believer and or the churchgoer. For the problem with this church, the problem with the Laodicean church, and sometimes the problem even with the Gray Road Church is that the Lord was on the outside of the church. So here he reminds the Laodiceans and this morning I remind us as Gray Road that being in the building is not tantamount to being in Christ. And the question is not are you in Christ but the better question is is Christ in you? This church in Laodicea recognized Jesus on their sign but not Jesus as their Savior. They spoke Jesus from their lips but did not live Jesus with their lives. Something was missing. And while this message is adopted to speak to the sinner, it also echoes to the saint that Jesus must be more than a location, but rather Jesus must be a lifestyle. Verse 14, before I get cooking too hot here. Verse 14 of Revelation 3 says, To the angel or divine messenger, of the church, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to say something. Angel coming from the Greek word angelo speaks to one who serves as a messenger. Speaks to an envoy or one who is sent by God. By implication, it speaks of a quote-unquote pastor and or the man of God. Preacher from the standpoint of messenger. That's why people say the angel of the house Some folk don't like that because they struggle with the term angel. Or if I had time, I would tell you that angels are real. If I had time, I would tell you that angels are watching. If I had time, I would tell you even at night there's an angel watching over you. But we don't like to hear that in the Lord's church. But understand, angel does speak of messenger, preacher. From the standpoint of a messenger Somebody would say well I can't take the fact That the preacher is an angel Because the preacher has sin too Uh, Let me tell you something Uh, The preacher is an angel Not being without sin Because angels While of God They're not God Angels got problems too If you don't believe me Go ask Lucifer and his angels I ain't got time for that And people love to say things like, well, the preacher is just like any other man. Let me spend some time and tell you that the man of God is just not like any other man. He is the man of God. He's an angel of the almighty God. He's not perfect, but he's sent for perfecting. The man of God, whoever he is, has been supernaturally gifted, though he is confined within a carnal nature. Don't pedestal him, but also don't pity him. He's gifted with speech, though it comes not from him. He's gifted with leadership, but he must also follow after God. That's why Paul says, "Follow me as I follow after Christ." Some of y'all don't like this, so let me move on to the angel of the church, in where Laodicea. There, Deacon Brayton are uh, differing theological theories as to the chronological placing of these congregational letters. Some say these letters are positioned as to the different time periods and or dispensations of the church itself. Meaning that we are currently in the age or the season of lukewarmness in the church. And that may be true. But there is another theological hypothesis that carries great weight here. In that, these letters to these seven churches followed a geographical pattern that flowed from Ephesus all throughout ancient Asia Minor, i.e. modern-day Turkey, and it follows the postal route and or the trade route from Ephesus, the beginning, all the way to Laodicea being the ending, meaning that these letters were to be carried starting from Ephesus ending in Laodicea. Laodicea linguistically means justice for the people. And Jesus says, I'm coming now to Laodicea. I'm writing now to the city of justice with something more than justice because I'm coming with grace. If I came to you with justice, you could only get what you deserve. But when I come with grace, I give you more than you deserve and I treat you better. Though... Laodicea you make me sick I still want to save you your mantra is justice but my mission is grace you deserve to be damned you deserve for me to give up on you you deserve everything that you work for you're lazy, you're like you are falsely secure in your own self, you stopped working for me a long time ago but I still love you I want to save you. Though you're ignorant, arrogant, lazy, and lackadaisical, I want to save you. Now, geographically, Laodicea is a city in Phrygia, situated on the river Lycus. It is equidistant and or between Hierapolis and Colossae. It is important to know that we are only about 10 miles from Colossae, Because not only did Colossae share water with Laodicea, they shared literal water and also living water. If you read the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2 and in Colossians chapter 4, Paul says let this letter be read not only in Colossae, but take it down to Laodicea, because it's 10 miles away from you, and the same problems you got, they got. I'm going to come back to that. Understand ah, that Laodicea not only was lukewarm in their disposition, they also had lukewarm water to drink. Because of the lycus being polluted, they could not get water from their natural source. Long before the Flint water crisis, Laodicea had a water crisis. So what would happen is they would have to get their hot water six miles away in Hierapolis. It would have to be piped underground. They would get their cold water ten miles away from Colossae. It would also have to be piped underground. The problem is when you take hot water and you pipe it underground through stone channels for six miles, it's not as hot when it got to Laodicea as it was when it left Hierapolis. The problem with taking cold water from Colossae, transporting it 10 miles through stone aqueducts means it's not as cold and refreshing in Laodicea as it was in Colossae, which means Laodicea was forced to have only lukewarm water. It was never too hot and never too cold. That problem with that is not only is that what they were drinking, but that is what they were displaying to God. So he says, let me talk to you in a way you are familiar. The same thing that you're getting is the same thing that you're giving. Balaeodicea, despite its own water problem, is a town of economic commerce. It's seat in manufacturing, remember that. It's seat in banking, remember that. And it's seat in biomedical pharmaceuticals, remember that. This church was at least 30 years old by the time John writes this letter. By the time I would ask Gray Road individually, how long have you and I been lukewarm? This wasn't a new phenomena. He wasn't talking to a church plant. He was talking to an established work. Laodicea was also known secularly as a city of compromise. And some of us embody the fact that we ain't nothing but a city of compromise. Secularly and spiritually. We ain't going backwards but Lord knows we ain't going forward. Here in Laodicea a city known for its earthquakes remember that later. God is about to shake up their complacency to save their Christianity with the reality that you can do more for me. These the text says are the words. Remember John is describing Jesus to all six churches. This is church number seven. He said these are the words of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Number one, he's the amen. Number two, he's the faithful and true witness. Number three, he is the beginning and or ruler and or origin, depending on your version, of God's creation. Oh, I'm having fun this morning. Now, number one, you better see Jesus as the amen. Notice here, Jesus through John gives credence to himself. Because amen means nothing more than I agree with something that is true. That's why the church ought not be afraid to say amen. I wish I had somebody in here. I get mad when preachers say you ought not say nothing in church. You ought not say amen. Well, if ain't nobody agreeing with your truth, it must not be true. Say amen when you can. Uh, amen basically means I agree with something that is true. Somebody say, I need scripture with that. Well, if I had time, i go to Psalms 107. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Jesus takes this definition and says, I am the amen. And I don't have to come after the prayer because I am the prayer. When it comes to this amen, I am not only the one who says amen, I am the amen. Because I am the truth by both source and substantiation. Amen not only speaks of I agree, but amen also denotes that I submit. And Jesus says, as I submit to the Father, so you should submit to me. Submit to my person, submit to my ways, and yes, even submit to my words. Jesus is a man personified, for he is truth, and he is light, and the reality of that is to which we must submit. Jesus ought to be the amen to your life on this morning. Therefore, when God has spoken, I ought to be able to say amen. When God moves, I ought to be able to say amen. When troubles come, I ought to be able to say amen. When storms rise, I ought to be able to say amen. Even when I don't want to say it, I ought to be able to say, God, this is your will, and it's greater than mine. So amen. Not only do I agree with it, but I submit to it. This ain't how I envision life to be, but amen. I didn't want to be sick, but amen. I didn't want to be divorced, but amen. I didn't want to be depressed, but amen. I didn't want to lose that job, but amen. I love that man or woman who left me, but amen. I will submit to whatever you call for me. I am the amen. You submit to me and you agree with whatever I decree for your life. I never thought life would be this way. Amen. Not only am I the amen, but I'm the faithful and true witness. God characterized as being faithful even to us, the faithless. Faith, as we all know, if you've been here for a while, comes from the Greek root word pistis. Pistis has two different derivatives. The first one is trusting God. The second one is the truth of God. A lot of times we... We we, we take things out of context because we don't have the correct linguistics. Uh, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we go around telling folk, well, honey, your light's out. We'll just pray on it. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. God in Hebrews ain't talking about trusting him. He's talking about the truth of him. Without truth, it's impossible to please God. You can lie to yourself and say, well, my heart is right, God knows, my heart, God knows. No, without the truth, you can't please God, period. But this is one of the rare times when pistons does not speak of truth of God, it speaks of trust of God. God says, not only am I the amen, not only am I the one to submit to, not only should you agree and have submission in me, but I'm trustworthy. You can trust me. And my trust is so good, you can lean on that trust. Oh, if I had time, Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not what? Lean on your own understanding with all your ways, acknowledge him. and what? He will direct your path. Don't lean on your understanding. What can I lean on? Lean on the fact that you can trust me. I'll hold you up and I'll build you up. I'm faithful even when you're faithless. I'm faithful even when you're not fruitful. Because Lord knows you've been lukewarm a long time and I've been right there with you. You can trust me every month when your money runs low. You can trust me every time you go to the hospital and you get out. You can trust me every time I bring sun to a stormy day. You can trust me. If you don't believe me, check my account. Not only am I a faithful and true witness. Witness is important here because Jesus is the true witness of all things including what was, what is and what will come and therefore whatever the witness says the true witness, the trustworthy witness, whatever he says is to be counted as true and it deserves our amen not only am I the amen Not only am I the faithful and true witness, but I am the beginning and or the ruler and or the origin of God's creation. Now, we must understand why Paul in Colossians and John in Revelation had to tell the Laodiceans that Jesus is the beginning and or ruler and or origin of God's creation. In Colossae, and presumably in Laodicea. There were false teachers who went around and were saying that Jesus was not total deity, but rather that Jesus was a created being, just like a man, therefore he ain't no better than a man. The entire purpose of Colossians was to prove the preeminent and powerful Christ even though false teachers try to reduce his divinity into humanity. Therefore, Paul deals with it in Colossians, deals with it in terms of the Laodiceans, and now Jesus tells John, you write it again, so that folk will know that not necessarily am I the beginning of creation as if I was formed first, but I was there before anything else was formed. Therefore, Jesus It's not just the beginning of creation. He's the source of creation. He's the origin of creation. And as theologians say, he is the uncreated source of creation. Why is that so important? Because there are so many, so many religions out there who are compromising the deity of Christ. They're undermining our Lord, And while folk are worried about hand clapping and and folk are worried about frivolous things, there are people out there devaluing the deity of Christ. There are folk out there who put Mary, his mama, up there on the same level as Jesus. There's Mormonism, which doesn't really include him at all. There's Islam, who says he's just like another prophet. Jesus is not like anything else. He was not created, but he was a creator. He's co-powerful, co-eternal, co-creator. He was there from the beginning. He's as powerful. Oh, okay, okay. Give me some script with that. Well, if I'm going to talk about the Laodiceans, let me talk about their friends, the Colossians. For I was in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15. Paul said, look let me tell you about Jesus. Since they're running all around Colossae saying he's just like everybody else. Jesus ain't like everybody else. How do you know it, Paul? Verse 15, the son, we're talking about Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the what? Firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. Somebody's coming here for the first time this morning and say, well, why is Christ's name everywhere? Christ's name is on the sign. The preacher done said Christ 17 times because Christ is the head of the church. If we ain't talking about Christ, then we ain't talking about nothing. If you pull up to a church and Christ's name ain't on the sign, you better get out the building. I don't care about St. Mark. I don't care about St. Peter. I don't care about Mount Ebenezer. I don't I care about my Nebo I don't care about no other cute name that man may come up with uh, Christ better be somewhere on the sign Christ better be somewhere in the church and Christ better be talked from from the pulpit it ain't time for politics it ain't time for storytelling this ain't reading rainbow somebody ought to be talking about Jesus he's the head of the church somebody here for the first time saying well who runs this church Jesus who's in charge? Jesus. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that what? In everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him. Verse 20 and through him to reconcile all things to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through the blood that was shed on the cross. Oh if I had time I would tell you the blood of Christ is important somebody say oh why is baptism so important because I got to go down in the water to come in contact with the blood why is the blood so important because we must be blood covered to identify with Jesus himself Why? Because God mm, because of our conduct we have made God sick. Because of our conduct God should spit us out of his mouth. Romans says that we in and of ourselves are enemies of God. So Jesus said I gotta die. I gotta shed my blood so my blood can cover them so that when God sees Ed he don't see Ed because he don't like Ed and Ed is his enemy but rather when he sees Ed he sees me. I wish I had somebody in here. Therefore I gotta identify with the blood and because with the blood because Colossians says by making peace through his blood. The only way I can have peace with God is to be covered in the blood of his son so that when he sees me, he don't see me no more. He sees Jesus. You can't have peace in your life without being covered by the blood of Christ. That's why it's so important. That's why salvation and sanctification and anointing and consecration, all of that is important. Because until you are covered in the blood of Christ, you are not at peace with God. You are God's enemy. You make him sick. You know why I know you make him sick? Because I make him sick. I've done some stuff that made me sick. So I know I've done some things that made God sick. Okay. Y'all gonna look at me funny on the last day of the year. You ever done something you know you shouldn't have done? And you're like, man, why I do that? I'm so tired of doing that. I'm better than that. Then you sit down and you plan the next time you're going to do that. Man, I'm tired of being drunk. Every time I get drunk, I get hung over. Hold on, wait a minute. Hey, hey, what's up, man? When we going out tonight, we going to the white party. So I wish I had somebody in here. You just got tired of doing the same old thing, what you planning to do. Y'all can look at me funny. It's only four degrees tonight. And some of y'all already trying to figure out where y'all gonna go. And how many pair of leggings you gotta put on to get there. Jesus is not only the first, but he is the preeminent of all that was created. He is the everything of God. If you need more proof, John 1 and 1 In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God where in the beginning through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus did not have to be like them to make them but he became like them to remake them. Somebody catch that in the car. Verse 15 I Know your deeds. So before we even get started, Leo, to see him, don't trip. I know your deeds. Let's push past the veneer of your faith. Let's push past the coating of your Christianity. I ain't worried about your Chanel number five or that Stacy Adams suit. I know you come here to fake in front. But I know your deeds. I know you inside and out. Not only do I know the instances, but I know the intent. I ain't coming to talk about your church attendance, I ain't here to talk about how you're gonna be great in 2018. I don't care about your 401k or your child's little league batting average. I don't care about your fraternity or sorority status, but I'm looking at your Christian deeds, your Christian service, your Christian worship, and your Christian maturity to decide whether or not you need to remain with the quote-unquote company. Why should I keep you? Why should I bless you? Why should I trust you? I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. You feel as long as you come to church, you're all right. You ain't doing nothing new for me. And some of us, our only Christian testimony is that, well, at least I ain't doing drugs no more at least I ain't smoking weed no more at least I'm not sexually immoral no more but what are you doing to move forward how are you growing why are you and I not boiling hot like we used to be and God has called us to be God says the problem with Laodicea and some of us in Gray Road is that you're living beneath your temperature and being hot is important. When you go down to Frish's Big Boy, and you order you some food, you gotta watch which one you go to. too. say man when you can, you can't trust the big boy in the hood. Say man when you can. Can't get no service over here. Now now now. But when you go out into the birds, say man when you go to Frisch's and you order yourself a super big boy if it's cold you don't want it it's going back why because we know that food ought to be at a certain temperature to not be laden with disease god says i want you and i to be at a certain temperature and when you continue to be lukewarm You're full of disease, i.e. sin. If you were hot, you would be able to resist some of the junk that you're going through. But since you're tepid and flaccid and lukewarm, that's why you're laden with disease and laden with sin and laden with problems. Because you stop being hot. See the beauty Laodicea. of having Hierapolis six miles away, they give you hot water. The beauty of having Colossae, 10 miles away, they bring you cold water. But you ain't hot. Which means what? You're not invigorating. You're not therapeutic. You're not healing. Because we use hot water to heal. See, grandmama, when I was a kid, even now, every night before she went to bed, you had to go get that hot water bottle. I wish I had somebody in the house who knows what a hot water bottle is. I, I ain't talking about that electric stuff. I'm talking about that. You had to put water on the stove or at least water in the microwave. Get that little red bag and you had to pour it in there and not burn your hands at the same time. And you bring it to her and it keep her warm all night long. Why, why, why is the hot water bottle so important? Because heat and hot water is therapeutic and it's invigorating. You ain't got none of that layer to see. Them. And you ain't cold. Because cold water quenches you and it's refreshing. Don't nobody want no lukewarm water? But cold here also speaks to the fact of so cold that it's never been warmed. Which means you're not hot or cold. I wish you were either one or the other. Meaning what? I'd rather you be hot and boiling and fervent and faithful or be cold as if you never were warm at all. Either act like you know me or act like you never met me. But stop running a game on me because I know. Now, I know you go to church and you, you go up there and serve communion because we need to have ten guys up front. But but are you hot for me? Or are you lukewarm? To be lukewarm, I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you be just like everybody else. At least skip on the block, know he ain't sin skip on the block, identifies with the fact that hell is his home. But then you take your coldness, add a few drops of hot water, and act like you're the next best thing going to heaven. See, Jesus says, be real, be real, be real, be real, be real, be real. You might as well be real with me. I know your deeds. Keep it 100. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Yeah. Verse 16. So because you are lukewarm, because you are deceived that you are okay, because you're constantly fluctuating and oscillating between flesh and faith, because I called you to spirituality, but you're complacent with being lukewarm, because you want to be mild, and let me tell you that mild is the temperature of mediocrity. Because you're satisfied with the C- in life and in your faith. You know what I really want to do? I want to spit you out of my mouth. I want to vomit you. Jeremy Flowers, I'm through with you. You make me 60. People like to say, well, Jesus was never, you know, he never said a crossword. He, he was always this perfect little lamb who, who never, no, 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 Jesus was real. He called Hare the fox. He thought the Pharisees, they were like whitewashed tombs on the inside full of dead men's bones. Jesus spoke when he had to. When folk were merchandising in his father's house, he turned over tables. Being a Christian does not mean that you are so meek that you can't be real. And it's time for some of us to be real. Well, if Jeremy loved me, he wouldn't say these things. Well, Jesus loves you and he does say these things. And he's not just saying them to you, he's saying them to me. Because even though I'm the preacher, every now and then there's some things I'm lukewarm into. Can we talk in here? I want to talk to you because there's some things that you're not doing now that you used to do. And the question is why? Where well, I used to teach. I used to be here on time. I used to be in the ministry. I, I used to I, I used to uh, be more fervent in worship. I used to sing. How would you feel, God? said I used to love you. I used to bless you. I used to care about you. You want to right now, God? with it used to be? Faith used to be. It's not satisfactory. Why can't we be hot like we used to? Why can't you have the same zeal and fervor that you had on the day you got that certificate out the water and you went down to Golden Corral and celebrated? Why can't you get that fire back? Why do you and I feel like we don't have to do now what we did then when God's the same God now as he was then? But see, you're lukewarm you're flat, you're stale. Why? Because you stop adding to your faith. You stop adding to your spirit. You stop adding to your Christian walk. When something is hot or when something is cold, the only way it stays there is if it adds more hot to its hot or more cold to its cold. The process of thermodynamics says in a closed system, whatever is there will lose its intensity. Make that so grandmama can get it, Jeremy. Okay. When you go to Denny's or when you get coffee at your restaurant, they bring you some coffee and they keep refilling your new... They keep bringing new hot coffee... To add to your lukewarm coffee so your coffee will never get cold. When you're at the restaurant at Frickers or wherever you go and get your soda, when you have soda and you drink half of it, they bring you more soda to keep the old soda cool. So why do you think your faith, if you don't add anything to it, will stay as hot as it used to be? What are you feeding yourself? What are you giving yourself? What are you adding to what you have? The problem is, none of us ain't added nothing in a long time, and that's why we're lukewarm, and we're tepid, and we're flat, and we're stale. Ain't nothing worse than flat soda. When I drink flat soda, I spit it out and I pour it out. So God's saying, Why do I keep fooling with you? Jeremy, why do I keep fooling with you? You ain't nothing but flat fago. I don't want this. That's all you got to give me? What have you added to your faith in the 20 and 30 years you've been in Christ? You're the same old, same old. You're lukewarm. I'm about to vomit you or spit you out of my mouth. Sometimes physicians, when they're trying to induce vomit, they will give one lukewarm water to serve as an anemic to get somebody to vomit what's in their body. That's what you do for me because you haven't changed or because you won't return to the faith you have because you come to church but you have no zeal folk gotta beg you to do everything you don't volunteer you gotta be voluntold hello well my brother uh, why didn't you help out with that oh I would have helped out but nobody told me to do it but we asked for help but nobody told me that sounds like somebody I know in hell say amen when you can I know y'all were looking, but nobody came to me. Oh, I would have helped, but she was on it, so I said, I'm going to step out. Oh, I just got a lot going on right now. Oh, 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 oh I got to be at King's Island at 11. It's quiet in here. See, I can talk now because King's Island is closed. I, I, I got to go because the Bengals are playing at noon. The Reds are playing at one. Where are the priorities? Here's another one I love to hear. I would be there, but I have family in town. So I can't make it. If you got family in town, and you need to go to worship, won't you bring them with you? Or you leave them at home? They're not going to die in the two and a half hours you in worship. It's quiet in here. Everybody got places to go on Sunday morning. This ain't in my notes, but it feels good right here. Everybody got places to go on Sunday morning. You don't tell Proctor or Cincinnati Public Schools at 10 o'clock where you know, I got to go to Kings Island. You ain't going to have no job. Okay, okay. I don't like that. It's all right. It's all right. New year, new you, all that. It's all right. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Let me, let me, let, let me close this. Verse 17. Because remember, that, that, that Laodicea it is a manufacturing town. It's a business town. It's a town of fashion and merchandising. It's a town of biomedical, pharmaceutical significance. Now, Laodicea, you look warm. And before you try to rebuttal me, remember I know your deeds. And I know what you're going to say. What are we going to say, Jesus? Well, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. First of all, Laodicea was self-sufficient and self-righteous in the fact that they had plenty of money. Everything was going right. Church was packed. There was money in the coffers. The building looked good. They put on a family life center church ain't about to close got a full time staff what more do you want we're rich we're plenty blessed not only is Laodicea rich but historically a few years before this writing there was an earthquake in Laodicea it destroyed everything they had enough money in Laodicea to where they didn't have to call on Rome or FEMA to help them They did it all by themselves. So therefore they feel, you know what? We're so self-sufficient that we can deal with anything, even destruction. But Jesus is saying there's a destruction coming that your money can't deal with. You may think that you're rich, but you're spiritually bankrupt. You may come to church every Sunday and have a good offering, but you're missing something. You're missing me. You're worried about your wealth. I would rather you be like Smyrna where you're poor in wealth and rich in spirit. You're rich in wealth and poor in spirit. And and I'm talking to somebody today because you feel, you know what, I work at this place. My 401k is fully funded. I I drive a nice car. I live in a nice house. I live on bubblegum drop lane. And you love telephone that, don't you? Where do you live? Well, I live in the so-and-so subdivision. When you find it, you turn at the left Where's your spirit? Where's your soul? Where are your children? Where you're satisfied with the wrong thing? Can I tell you something else? Say to my notes, but it feels good right here. The sad thing is, ancestrally, culturally, we ain't never had it better. Than we do right now. We got more stuff. We make more money. Than any generation before us. But we got less faith. Grandmama didn't have hardly nothing. She had a dirt floor. But she had her faith. Now you got three floors. And five bedrooms. And six bathrooms. And two, three car, four car garage. And you ain't worth nothing spiritually. But you're going to say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I can take it away. I don't need a thing. You need more than you know. Because what you got now is only going to carry you to Walker Funeral Home. You do not realize, Laodicea, you do not realize, Great Road, starting with your preacher, you ain't nothing but wretched, pitiful, or oh, I say pitiful that's pathetic and pathetical. <laughs> poor, blind and naked but I'm going to bless you anyway though you make me sick I'm going to bless you anyway though you bad and bougie I'm going to bless you anyway somebody, somebody miss your hip hop shout though you bad and bougie I'm still going to bless you I'm going to deal with your wretchedness and your ratchetness I'm going to deal with you being pathetical. I'm going to deal with your poverty. What you mean I ain't poor? You ain't seen my Chase account? I'm going to deal with your blindness and I'm going to deal with your nakedness and Jeremy gonna do this in six minutes. Verse 18. In verse 18, the text goes on and says, you know what? I counsel you. I should be mad at you. I should condemn you. I should damn you. I should give up on you. I'm tired of you, you make me sick, you're bad, you're bougie, but for some crazy reason, I'm so in love with you. Isn't it good to have somebody in love with you? Oh, if I had time, I would say, it's so good loving somebody. And somebody, I wish I had a church in here. (laughs) Curtis Sue, spiritual for any earthly good. It's so good loving somebody when somebody loves you back. And not just loves you, but in love with you, and there is a difference. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm gonna counsel you. I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna give you some advice. Wow. Buy from me. Yeah. Go salvation. That's refined in the fire. I'm still gonna give you salvation. Well, hold on, wait a minute. I have a problem with the word buy in the text because you can't buy salvation, it's not by merit. John says I know that I don't mean buy as with money because you can't buy it with money I mean want salvation so much that you'll give up what you have to get what you need come to me get the gold get the salvation that you need meaning what? it ought to be so valuable to you to really be in me and be hot for me that you'll give up everything that you have that cause you to be lukewarm get the gold so you can become what? truly Greek you can become truly rich meaning the riches you have now ain't rich all they gonna do is take you to the funeral home and your kids gonna fight over it and if you ain't got a will probate gonna take 40% of that I'm gonna give you white clothes to wear I got plenty of clothes but you spiritually naked that Dolce and Gabbana can't cover up what's really wrong with you That Louis Vuitton can't cover up what's really wrong with you. That foul and Stacey Adams can't cover up what's really wrong with you. I'm going to give you white garments. I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to give you purity. I'm going to give you sanctification to cover your spiritual nakedness. Why? Because I love you, not because you deserve it. I'm going to give it to you to cover up your shameful nakedness. I'm going to give you salve to put on your eyes. Why we need salve, we are a biomedical pharmaceutical hub. We have our own medical school in Laodicea. We got salves for everything. But that salve can't make you see, it. it'll make you feel better. But when you have Jesus, when you have His salvation, when you have His covering, then you can really see and be truly rich. Verse 19. In verse 19, the text goes on, eventually, and says, all right, I'm going to give it to you, if you love me. And before you question my love for you, know that even before you love me, I loved you. But me loving you comes with some things. All of my love ain't happy, happy all the time. Well, I'm going through a storm right now. How could God really love me? He lets me go through this. Those I love, I keep close to me. I rebuke them and I discipline them. And I know some of y'all don't like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. When you love something, you say something. Well, I ain't going to say because, you know, I love him. If you let me keep going, don't say nothing, you must not love me. And if you love something that's subordinate to you, you discipline them. We're subordinate to God, therefore, I'm disciplined. Now, no, 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 no. I, I know there are different ways to raise a child, and I'm very familiar with child psychology and adolescent development, and I'm not here to talk about how you deal with your child. That's your personal business. But I love my children. Therefore, I discipline my children. Sometimes. You see, discipline ain't always whooping somebody. Let me say that too. Now, I know some of, you, some of us came from a, a generation where the first thing you did was get pop. Sometimes, sometimes you need to talk to them. Sometimes you got a model for them. Yeah sometimes it takes positive redirection as my wife would say in her her, her organizational education. It takes positive redirection. But sometimes, Brother Hudson, I ain't got time or want positive redirection. See, my wife, she does that. She teaches in the school, positive redirection. No, sometimes I got another positive redirection. And when it happens, it's not because I hate my child. It's because I love my child. And discipline only comes after rebuke. Notice the sentence structure. I'm not going to touch you until my words don't touch you. I'm not going to touch you until my words. Brother Rose would say discipline without instruction is abuse. God ain't never abused you. Some of us are living under his discipline right now because we didn't follow his rebuke. When David sinned with Bathsheba, he said Nathan the prophet, God did, to rebuke him. But in the end with rebuke, he had to lose the baby that he had with Bathsheba. that's the discipline or chastisement. I had to touch you. God loves us so much that he'll still save us. He'll give us what we don't deserve. But his love also comes with the fact that we are his child And he has the right to rebuke and discipline us. So anyway, Laodicea, be earnest, be zealous, be enthusiastic, and repent. Repent here comes from the Greek word metatineo. Metatineo means repent once and for all. doesn't mean to report. doesn't mean to come down so we can get an update on what's going on. It means to completely turn away. You have a lot of heart problems you're lukewarm, you ain't done nothing new for the Lord, you're living off your yesterday, then you're bougie with it because you got money, it's going to be okay. Because you can get clothes, it's okay. Because you go down to the medical school and get what you need, it's okay. It's not okay. You and we have to leave that way and repent. I'm a merciful God. I'm a gracious God. But there's a time limit on both. And you don't know how much time you got left. So then verse 20, and we're done. Says, you know what? Time's running short. Behold. Or here I am. Since you took so long to come to me, I'm going to come to you. I'm so glad God is so humble and so loving and so kind that when you don't come to me, I'll come. Okay, you, you, you ever raised a child who was too hard-headed to know when to come back to you? And now they ain't talking to you as if you did something? And they ain't talking to you because they ashamed. But a good parent says, I'm not going to let you live in shame though you deserve your shame. I'm going to humble myself because I'm more mature than you. Ah. And I'm going to come down to you and say, you know what? Behold, here I is. Here I am. I stand at the door. Carl, I'm coming to you. I'm coming, number one, to the door of the church. As you are the church, I'm coming to the Laodicean church. I'm coming to the Gray Road church. I'm knocking and I'm saying, get better, do better, come back to me. That's for the saint. But I'm also coming to the sinner because there's somebody in this audience who's not yet come to Jesus. And the only reason you're still living outside of the blood is because of my grace and my mercy. But time is running out. The same way you're going to watch that clock tonight and say 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 and anticipate a new year is the same way you should be cutting down anticipating my return. You don't know when I'm coming back. But the question is right now, if I come back, are you ready? And if not, guess what? It's your fault. And after today, you can't say I didn't have a chance or an opportunity. Yes, you did. I brought you to this place at this time to know that what you're doing and who you have been has made me sick. Now do something about it. I still want to bless you. I still love you. I want you to repent. I want you to turn around. I want you to come to me. I want you to submit to me. I want you to be baptized. I want you to be a new creature. I am coming to you and this may be the last time. Behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And knock here. Linguistically, it's a continuous rapping on the door. I'm knocking not only continuously, But in your own mind, I'm knocking harder and harder and harder. It ought to be audible in your life and audible in your spirit and audible in your soul. That's why you're uncomfortable every time you go to church because you know there's something you must do. You are not saved. You are not in the blood. You are not protected. You don't have peace with God. Well, it annoys me. I'm tired of hearing about what I should be doing, how I should be saved. That's just me knocking at the door. You want something more sadder than me knocking? Wait till I stop. I'm at the door. And what if anyone, any individual who's affected by anything, anyone, hears my voice and opens the door. Because if you're in this audience, you've already heard the voice of God, through the angel, through the messenger. These ain't my words. These ain't my words. That tablet don't mean that half the things I said today didn't come in that tablet. Do you hear the words? Because if you hear the words, now you are responsible. Right now, you're responsible to do something because you've heard the word. Now, the question is, will you open the door? Here's the good thing about God. If you hear my words and open the door, I will come in to where you are. You, don't worry about coming to me. I'll come into your situation. I'll come into your life. I'll come into your drama, And I'll eat with you. I'll fellowship with you. I came, Joyce, as a guest to you. But when I come, I'll become the host in your space. And not only will I go from guest to host, I'll become the meal because I'm the bread of life. Because I'll come to you. I'll come in you. I'll take over you and the fellowship that we share will be you withdrawing from me. And I'm doing all this because I love you. Well, where's Jesus when I need him? I'm right here. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. Oh, what's going on in my life? That's just me knocking. Why things keep going like this? I'm just knocking. Why my house getting torn up? I'm just knocking. Yeah. Why can't I hold a job? Maybe I'm knocking. Yeah. Let's be standing and not singing.